I want you to turn again to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're talking about the believer's security. God's promise to keep you, preserve you, and secure you in this life. In this life. Our text here tells us that we have an inheritance. It's been given to us by God who alone can give it because the inheritance is not this world, but it has to do with the next world. We call it heaven and his kingdom and all of that. And he's going to make it sure for us to enter there. And while we're in this world with all of its tragedies and all of its difficulties and all of this adversity that's in this life, God has personally assigned himself to you to keep you and bring you through all of this world so that when you're finished, you will enter into his world on his terms without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Only God can do that. We should have that in our hearts. It's one of our basic fundamental beliefs. Not to give us a, a license to just take it easy and relax because if you're one of his, you won't do that because God puts something in you that doesn't allow you to think like that. If you can think like that, that spirit is not in you. Now our text says, verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You particularly who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The word kept here has to do with being preserved. It's an act from God that guarantees your safekeeping. God is gonna preserve take care of, or guard you. It's what God does to make you secure. Now, so far, we've said this. God's secure safekeeping system has three components, three ingredients, or three elements that are a part of this security. Each one of these is a challenge. Each one is very controversial, and multitudes of Christian people reject one or two or all of them. And the first one is that God puts before us, as his people, his word. Now, his word is his direction for our life. It's how we prove what's right or what's wrong, whether we're doing good or whether we're doing bad. What we should know about God is contained in his word. And lots and lots of people have misinformation about the word. It's been misinterpreted. One of the devil's great weapons is error mislead, to deceive, cause you to wander off the right path into the broad way and so forth. Not only is the word a challenge to us, and not only has the word been misinterpreted to us, but it's a challenge for us sometimes just to keep hearing it. Because we find ourselves many times getting bored with hearing the same old, same old word. And yet God has a higher wisdom than anybody and knows that if you keep hearing it, eventually it'll begin to register in your heart as a part of your thinking, as a way you see things yourself. And in that sense and in that way, the word will become a guide. But it takes, secondly, where we were last week, it takes the Holy Spirit to accurately know what the Bible means. Jesus said in John 16, chapter 12, Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you. He's talking to his disciples. But he said, but you can't handle it. You can't bear it right now. How be it? He said in John 16 and verse 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come? When he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, if we had no other way to know in the Bible, one of the evidences that a man or a woman has received the Holy Spirit is their quest for truth, a desire to know it, a desire to learn what it is. Because when the Spirit of God comes, that's what he does. 
Jesus said he will guide you into all the truth. He will convict the world of sin. And you're in the world, so when sin makes its knock at your door, he will alert you to the fact that what you're doing is wrong, what you said is wrong, where you're going is wrong, so forth. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's controversial because multitudes of people in their church merely assume that they have received the Spirit because they raised their hand in a meeting, they got baptized in water, they went forward in a service, they had a moment in a Sunday school on daddy's lap, mom's lap, a church camp. They had some emotional experience. Sometimes it really was the real deal. A lot of times it wasn't. A lot of people's conviction is based on false premises. They get convicted of their sin and they want their sin relieved because they want to go to heaven where mom is or where dad is or to get rid of their drugs or get rid of some habit. They just want to get rid of things so they can have more leisure or a better time in this life. So they truly don't repent. They just feel sorry about what's happened. But they never really did get right with the Lord. And just because you really did go forward and you really did have a moment with the Lord does not mean that at that time you received the Holy Spirit. And yet most churches do. Most Christians believe. They just accept or assume that they received the Spirit when they got saved. They say, how could you be saved without the Holy Spirit? Well, that certainly is his work in bringing conviction and bringing Christ to you. Remember Jesus said, though, he said, I have a baptism to be baptized with. John the Baptist said, he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. But the author of salvation is Jesus Christ. This teaching, this message is not about all of this. I just want to throw it in so we can go on. But in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul specifically states that the first Adam was a living soul. He was made that way when God breathed into it. He said the second Adam, which is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. That when Christ comes into a person's life, they are new creatures. They are made new. The conviction that brought that, that caused that to happen, was the work of the Holy Spirit. But life is in Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Only Jesus can quicken a dead soul, dead in trespasses and sins by receiving Christ. Romans 8 says, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he doesn't even belong to God. There's a lot of teaching there I'm trying my best to stay out of this morning because when we as a church like us talk about the Holy Spirit, we want to go into the details about it, and that's not what this message is about. This message is about what does the Holy Spirit do in securing your salvation? I just wanted to make the point that not everybody that goes to church or has had some experience necessarily received the Holy Spirit. So when there is an absence of spiritual activity in somebody's life, but they think they have the Spirit anyway, they just assume this is the way it is, and it's not. The Spirit of God is from God. When the Spirit of God comes into any human life, that human life is forever changed. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, there is a way that you know. I mean, it's a distinct biblical New Testament way that you know. They speak in tongues. That's what they did in the New Testament. Acts chapter 10. How did they know these Gentiles received the Holy Spirit? Because they heard them speak with tongues. Now, see, we would say, this, what is the big deal then with people and tongues? I mean, it's something that God did. It never happened before until the day of Pentecost. It was prophesied in Joel. It was prophesied in Isaiah. And when it happened, the church today just throws its hands up in the air and says, oh, no, we don't want that stuff here. Then it is a spiritless church. Doesn't mean they can't know things. Jesus said, I have more things to say to you than what I've said. So they can learn a lot of things. But you can't go all the way. You can't walk a deep walk. How far can you go with this? You could read Mark 16 and make something out of that. These signs shall follow those who believe. What he said, he said, these signs shall follow those who believe. 
They shall speak with new tongues. You can make a big deal out of that. We won't because I want to go on to what I'm talking about. So what does this Holy Spirit do when he comes in, when he does come in? What is his role in securing you, keeping you? How does that work? I can understand about the word, but what does he do? Well, he seals you. For one thing, when the Holy Spirit comes, God puts his signet or his seal of approval on you like the king used to do in the old days when they would seal a letter. You're going to send to somebody that melt the candle. And then he'd put his ring on top of that candle and seal it. That was the king's seal. Nobody was allowed to open because that was the king's property. It was addressed to somebody. Authorship of that letter was the king's. Now, that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's one of his marks, is that when God chose you to be his and directed at a time, like we'll get that in Ephesians 1, when he has sent the Holy Spirit after you believed, made you aware of the Holy Spirit, and gave you that privilege of asking and receiving, when you did, it's like God sealed you made clear and known throughout eternity that you were the personal chosen property of God and he, God, is going to keep you. Now, a lot of people say, oh, I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. I rattle in tongues and I do all that kind of stuff, but you live like the devil. So I'm glad that you can speak another language. But there's a lot more that goes with this work of the Holy Spirit than just speaking in tongues. It's a life you live that evidences a power in you that is beyond you, but it's a power that comes from God and a power that secures you. Would you look in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 22? The word seal, used many times in the New Testament, always a way of showing ownership. And let's face it, if God owns something, it's secure, isn't it? may get rattled around. You may go through heavy trials and difficult moments and hardships. You may fall seven times, but the Bible says God will always raise you up because he that started a good work in you, while he's going to make sure you're tested, refined, proven, and go through various trials and temptations, God's going to keep you. No temptation has taken you but such as is common to man and God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tested beyond that which you're able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. You are not going down. You may think you're going down. It may seem like you're going down. That causes you to cry out to God, which is what the spirit would, would lead you to do. But God responds to that because you're his. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 22, it says, Who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Earnest would be like a down payment, guaranteeing a future delivery. Did you know that when God put his Spirit within you, he guarantees that you're going to be his and that you're going to inherit eternity? Did you know that? You need to receive the Holy Spirit. If you've never done that, you need to do it. And you can know when you have. But this work of the Holy Spirit, this is a work that he does in bringing us through life and convicting us, causing us to sometimes cry out, sometimes just cry. Now, over and over, you realize your weaknesses and your failings and the question the devil throws at, why would God want to fool with you? Look how weak you are. Look how you fail. Look how many times you've been through this. You're asking for the same thing again. Oh, the difference between a person who gives up and the person who doesn't is that power of the Spirit that came from God that keeps holding you fast. That's what he does. And when you can walk away from this, you do not have the spirit. When you can be indifferent to the word of God, there is something wrong with you. If you can just attend church, get nothing out of it continually and know very little about it after 15 or 20 years, the spirit of God is not there. 
Now, he should be, and he can be, even at this late date for some of us. God can make you get on your knees and ask and receive. You can do that today. You can do that today so that you can know. But in Ephesians 1, I mentioned that a while ago, verse 13 and 14. This is one of my favorite chapters, of course. I think we reference it every week or every other week. But this time, Ephesians 1, verses 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that the way it works? You hear the word. The word has this effect on some people of convicting you of your sins. Not everybody does it. Isn't it true that not everybody who hears the word is bothered by it or convicted by it? But some people are. Now, that's the work of the Spirit. And if God wants to leave road this and that alone and bypass you, he can do that. God knows who his people are. And the world's going to know who his people are too. He does what he does. And there are people who hear the word. For me, it was a long time ago. And you heard it the way you never heard it before. Been in church my whole life, but one day I heard something in a way that was different. That word went all the way down on the inside where you hide stuff. It went all the way in there like a two-edged sword. And it began to dig around in there, and I couldn't hide it. I knew God knew. It began to feel bad about it, feel sorry about it. Isn't that the work of God? He doesn't have to do that, but he does that. That's how we got here. We got troubled and bothered and tore up and convicted about our sins. Oh, God. But that's the work of the Spirit. And after you heard the word of truth, it was illumined to your heart and you could see that God saved you. For by grace, through faith are you saved and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God because you could do nothing about it, but God bestowed upon you the attention of his personal presence to tell you that you are a sinner, that you're lost, that he wants to save you. He just told you that. And it says here in verse 13, in whom we also trusted after we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. Notice the next part though, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. It happened later. It was after you believed. You were sealed. God put his personal mark on you, his signet on you, actually in your heart. God sent his own very own spirit in you, in your heart. And there he made ownership of your life. Now, you're his, and nobody, Jesus said in John 10, nobody's going to pluck you out of his hand. Why? Because you're his. Was it 2 Corinthians 6? He said, but we are bought with a price. Who did he buy? I'll tell you this. When Jesus died on the cross, the power of his death and resurrection was sufficient to save every sinner in the world. It was sufficient to do that. It had power to save everybody. But it will only save those for whom it was done. It will be effective for the elect. Oh, that doesn't sound right, but it is. It is. And for those who are God's elect, he's not going to leave them orphans. They're not going to wander around here without a father. He's going to send his spirit in their heart crying, Abba, Father. And they're going to have a sense of knowing, have some kind of a deep, sometimes unexplainable assurance that I am God's and he is mine. And I know I can live this way, even though sometimes it seems very difficult and very hard and very far. I believe I can live this way. Listen to this translation about verse 13. 
After you heard the message of the truth, the good news of your salvation, you believed in him and were sealed as his by receiving the Holy Spirit, which he promised. It was natural. Sometimes it was two or three months later. For me, it was. But one day you heard it. You wouldn't have gotten saved in the Christian church that I was in and then blurted out in tongues. Woo! That wasn't in the bulletin. But what happened was you got saved. God knew the kind of people we are and how feeble and tender our minds and hearts were, how little we could understand or even accept. And he began to lead us that way. He began to lead us into seeing a deeper need in our life. Things get dry. Things get real dry. After the juice is worn off and being born again, you, but see, you don't quit. Because somebody has some information. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You need to be baptized in the Spirit. I need to get filled. Where? What? You need to receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm sure I already have. Oh, I'm sure you haven't. <laughs> well, how can I know? Well, read the Bible. Can I show you? What church you go to? No, I don't want you to show me anything. <laughs> That's where religion is in America. That's why people are in darkness. But see, he didn't leave us like that because we wanted to know. So we said, tell me. All right, turn to Channel 6 on WFIA on Tuesday, and there's a preacher there to tell you how to do it. All right. And sure enough, oh, I don't know if I want to hear that because we don't do that here. Later on, he kept getting dry. Now nah, we don't need the Holy Spirit. That's just a bunch of gibberish, and he couldn't get any deader. But see, he didn't leave us satisfied with death. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be more. Finally, one day, the preacher said, you know, we need to receive this Holy Spirit. We said, John, we're against it. We don't do that, John. Remember you said we don't need that, and that's just a bunch. He said, well, I know I said that, but maybe that's what we need. We're just dead and dry. Well, yeah. Well, how are we going to get it? Where do we go get it? Where is he? He's over in Louisville. So we got in the car and we went to Louisville. Brother Rogers Church, Evangel Tabernacle. I was scared. I still remember Bonnie with me to preach two or three of them. I was scared walking into a Pentecost. I was scared because I'd already been investigating this stuff and there were some strange things. We walked in the church, you know, and looking around all these people, didn't see any boxes anywhere. <laughs> Found me a pew, went in there and Everybody just getting out now. How you doing? Good to see you. Oh, brother. Where are you from? I tell John, don't tell him, don't tell him, don't tell him. <laughs> and he told him. This night is as clear as the night it happened. We were sitting there, and a fellow from Detroit, one of the directors of the Assemblies of God, one of the office people, one of the bigwigs, came, and he was speaking that night. And he came out there, and Introduced himself and somebody about, oh, five rows behind me. Just, I mean, let it loose. And I, hair came up all over. I'm holding on to whatever. There's nothing to hold on to except Bonnie, and she's trying to hold on. I'd never heard such a thing in my life. First time I ever heard that. And it was going, it's just this way and that way. I'm sitting there thinking, all right, now, I've got my legal mind going. I thought, now, there better be an interpretation, like I'm going to do something if there wasn't. <laughs> and so when he got through, he sat down. The minister up front, he says, now, before I give the interpretation to what the young man just said, what he said was for one of you or a few of you that are here tonight. I said, somebody told him we were coming. He said, this was the interpretation. He told him about the way I'm talking now. This was the interpretation of what he said. He said, you need not be afraid of the Holy Spirit, for he has come to draw you unto God, and that he is here for you, and you can receive and things like that. Just as calm. I mean, he wasn't shaking and doing it like that there. He just very calmly told us what he said. 
And I remember at that moment, my heart going, boom, I knew that was for me. I remember feeling, I'm going to get this. I'm getting this. No, no, our preacher, he wanted to go talk to him. So we had after service over, went to the hotel where he stayed and brought him down to the lobby. We talked to him, man, we were full of questions. I remember him looking at me and said, you all, I think he looked at me, I'm hoping, I'm, this is my version. <laughs> said, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. I remember thinking, I sure am. So we drove back home to Charlestown, got in the old Christian church, went in there, turned on the cross light, the big gold cross with the light behind it. All got down there like this here. Okay, Lord, one of them said, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Opened his mouth. And, of course, we're all, well, you know. Well, when it didn't work, then we all asked for it. Because we didn't know what was going to happen. Nobody got it. We asked some more later on. Nobody got it. The Holy Spirit didn't quit. He makes you hungry. He whets your appetite. One day our pastor, that one during this time, Brother Bartlett came to church when we looked bad, looked tired, wore out, and weary. I've been there. He came in. He said, come here, come here. I said, you going around, Johnny? He said, yeah. She said, have you got it yet? I said, no, I haven't. He said, man, don't you tell this. I'm telling it now, but he, not then, he said. He said, I played with God all night last night. I got on my knees on this side of the bed. I got on my knees. I laid on my face, crawled around, rolled around. He said, I said, Lord, do something. Fill me or kill me. He said, I got nothing. He said, all I got was tired. So the preacher said, I just told him, I said, forget it. I don't want it anyway. He came to church. Well, the following week or so, we're praying. Just that strange, undefined moment in my life when it happened. We've been out witnessing, led somebody to the Lord on a Thursday night. We were happy. We were excited. And it came time in this prayer meeting to ask for the Holy Spirit. I just remember this stirring, this strange... I was praying. We were getting ready to go home. We've been here for about an hour praying, so we are getting ready to go home. And this strange <laughs> thing, like that. You know what I mean when you go, <laughs> yeah? Something the Spirit of God would do. It's not normal to walk around going, <laughs> you know. They probably had medicine for that, but that wasn't. And I remember I was praying, and I was like talking through a straw. That's what it felt like. I was talking normal, but it felt like I was talking to a little straw. And I heard these words in my mind, in my heart. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I had this very strong impression. Lift your hands, open your mouth. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Now, I was hungry enough then that I didn't care what the others thought, at least not real bad. So I threw my hands up in the air and just took a deep breath and let her go. Just let her go. And just as hard and loud as I could let her go. I just let it go. And they all looked at me and I'm saying, first time it ever happened in this church. One old boy crawled over and said, I just want to touch you. <laughs> There's a lot more to the story than that going home and all that. And point of it I'm trying to make is after you're saved, when God begins to stir your appetite for more, that appetite leads you to the Holy Spirit. Because when he comes in, he comes in with a ministry, a direction, a purpose. And one of the things he does, as he says here, is that he seals you to preserve you. In this present life, he sent his Holy Spirit to seal you, make you his own, and to preserve you. Listen to these words in Ephesians 4, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let me ask you a question so we can go on. If I am sealed unto the day of redemption, will I make it to the day of redemption? The only way I can tap into that 
is our last point, which I'll get to in just a minute, is by faith. I got to believe that. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you get some kind of a divine book from heaven. What you've got is the same thing you've always had, only now God adds the element of faith to it. And you begin to live like what he said is true because if you're his, that's what you do. You can't say you belong to God and ignore him. You can't say that you're one of God's people and yet give him little time in your life. Doesn't work like that. If you're God's, he gets you. He is able to work that kind of a work in you. It should trouble any of us if that's not going on. It should bother us if we can live differently than that. Because God did not send the Holy Spirit to the church so the church could build a bigger building, a better building, have a greater program, and impress more people. The Holy Spirit focuses on two things, actually one, the Word of God and the person of Jesus. That's what he's all about. The second thing the Holy Spirit does in securing you is he sanctifies you. Remember Hebrews 12 says that without holiness, no man shall see God. The word holiness there, the Greek word is used 10 times. Five times it's translated sanctify. Five times it has to do with holiness. The word has to do with purity, cleanness of life. But that's what happens when you're separated from the world, which is often the way sanctify is understood. To be sanctified is to be made holy. Saint, S-A-I-N-T, or in sanctify, S-A-N-C-T. Sanct, tify, or fication. The word fication has to do with the way it's done, simply. So the way you're made a saint, the way you're made holy. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit to make you holy. Now, how does he do that? By this constant pressure on your life, constantly speaking to you, constantly warning you, making you know by whatever means he needs to make you know that you better not, you should not, and so forth. Because this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Would you go back to our text, 1 Peter chapter 1. And look at verse 2, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through what? Sanctification, how? Of the Spirit. Would you agree with me then that one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to set you apart? It's to set you apart. Brought out of the miry clay, brought unto God, separated unto God for his purposes. Undergoing from this point on the work of change and refinement and purity by God. That doesn't happen to churches. It happens to the elect. Those whom God has called who cannot be plucked out of his hands. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom. How many of you know there's far more to Christianity than just talk? But the only thing that motivates you to live the life is this work of the Spirit. That's how you separate yourself. That's why you give up certain things you used to do that you shouldn't do. Or maybe wear things you used to wear. Because something inside deals with us about purity of life. Your moral barometer gets convicted by the Lord that you shouldn't act that way, talk that way, or wear that because of what it leads to. The impression that the world gets by the way you talk or dress. And there's something about a heart that belongs to God that responds to that. We can't do that. We can't be a part of that. Then the Bible say, come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. How do you know it's unclean? By the word that the Holy Spirit illumines and brings to your heart to convict you. What relationship does this have with that or the devil with this or darkness with light and so forth? 
That begins to make sense to you. It begins to make sense because of the work of the Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, the best you can do is sit in church and ignore those kind of things and concentrate on the social agenda of the church. Bigger, brighter, better. And assume that that's a sign of spirituality. And it's not. The work that the Holy Spirit does is not happening in every church member's life. But for those in whom it is working, sometimes, folks, sometimes it was true with, with me. I had to leave where I was in order to go on with my convictions that I could not remain where I was and become what God wanted. I assume that's why some of you are here. If you want to go on, you can't be restrained by some church ordinance or system. Listen to this in 2 Timothy 2. You don't have to turn to this, verse 13. God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation in this way, by the sanctification, the separating work, the making holy work of the Holy Spirit. If you're his, you will be holy. Because without holiness, you won't see God. Are you with me? This is good news. This is God's free offering of his word to his people. You can partake. It's yours. Elect, he said here in our text, or 1 Peter 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit unto, through faith unto salvation. He's talking to us. Let me tell you a third thing he does. The third thing the Holy Spirit does in securing you and making you his is teaching you obedience. You know, the Bible said Jesus learned obedience to the things he suffered in Hebrews 5. So will you. Let me show you something. Ezekiel chapter 36. Verse 25. This is what Ezekiel said. This is what Nicodemus should have understood as the new birth, which was made possible by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. Clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh and... Notice this, and I, God, will put my spirit within you. Does it say that? Whose spirit? The spirit of God, okay? And I will put my spirit in you, and what will he do? And cause you to what? Walk. Walk how? In my statutes, by his word. Now think about it. If God has put his spirit in anybody, that anybody is going to do something distinct. And that distinct thing they're going to do is walk in the ways of God. Sure, they'll wrestle with it. Sure, they'll have their moments. Sure, doubt barrages of mind and uncertainty. Yes, but the Holy Spirit never leaves you alone. He keeps revealing truth to you, encouraging you. But God says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk and cause you to walk and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And verse 28 ends by saying, and you shall be my people and I will be your God. What makes us God's people? I'm just asking you all, I want you to think about this. What makes us God's people? What do you say in verse 27? Say, I'm the school teacher now. What makes us God's people? His spirit, doesn't it? He did it. We had no right or claim to it. We weren't worthy of this. We couldn't deserve this. He put it in there. He put his spirit in us. That means that he took residence in your life. God is at work 
in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You're going to do that. That's what you're going to do. That's one of the distinctions of a Christian in this world. They are doers of the word and not hearers only. They're word people. And the more they do the word, the more the Holy Spirit enriches the meaning and the power of the word to them. Obviously, we should obey the Lord. We don't have options. We don't have alternatives to the word. This is the way, walk ye in it. Fourthly, prayer. Romans 8 says, you know, we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit helps us with groanings and so forth, which cannot be uttered. That's what the Spirit does. There's going to be many times in your life you're going to have to pray. Your back's going to be against the wall. It's, it's going to look like this isn't going to work after all. We came this far, but it just doesn't look like it's going to work. And you get this prompting again, this work on the inside, God working in you. You're stirred again, even in dark, dark moments in your life. And you pray, you say, I don't know what to pray for. Just pray in the Spirit. Well, pray in the Spirit. I read in the commentary, uh, praying in the Spirit is a, really a spiritual prayer. Hardly. It's not just a spiritual prayer. It's praying in tongues. For in Romans 14, Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prayeth. My understanding is unfruitful. I don't even know what I'm saying. But that's where faith comes in. I'm believing that by doing this, this way, strange as it is and unusual and mostly rejected by man, God does something this way. I can't understand all this gibberish. I don't have to. I just have to do it. And Jude 20 says, you build up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Amen. After all these years, now I find myself driving down the road, praying in tongues, praying for some of you. I don't know what's going on in anybody's life that needs prayer like that. But guess who does? God. And he prompts me or he prompts you to pray. And you say, I don't know how to pray about that. Pray in the spirit. Pray in T-O-N-G-U-E and then an S. For you see, if I speak in the tongue of men or angels, I can do both. You could be gifted with a foreign language in a missionary field. Just like on the day of Pentecost, they heard them speaking in their own languages. Or you can pray like Paul said, if I pray in a tongue, I don't know what I'm saying. It's a heavenly language. Pray with the tongue of men or angels. What country are angels from? You just believe that as you do this, that you're obeying God. And while your natural mind says, you're just going, that's all you're doing. That doesn't make sense. You say, not to me, it doesn't. I'm obeying God, and this is the only way I know how to do this, and that's what's coming out of my mouth. Well, you say, it's Kalidus, 15 times straight. <laughs> it's not mine to figure that out. It's mine to do. And skeletis, 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 whatever somebody says 15 times, it might just be somebody hollering, help, help, help. I don't know. But that'd be the prompting of the Lord to me. These supernatural things cannot be understood by a natural man. He can't receive spiritual things. You can. And it's the most natural thing to do when you don't know how to pray about something. You pray in the spirit. So, in securing you, God starts with the word. Oh, that's controversial. Then the Holy Spirit, but there's no controversy there. Whew. And then thirdly, as controversial as anything in your security is the message of faith. Because your text, if you'll go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, one more time. You were in Ezekiel, you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. It says in verse 5, <clears throat> And if we read no more today, that would be enough. But he says, who are kept, that word means secured and preserved, who are kept by the power of God, how? 
through faith. It's not you are kept by the power of God because you had an experience once in the church or you raised your hand or you prayed a sinner's prayer. That's not why you're kept. You are kept because it was the work of God that ordained that a man live by faith and that by faith God would respond to him. God's response is to faith. The people that have faith are God's people. The rest of the world has knowledge about God, but knowledge is not faith. It can be the basis for faith, but just knowing the Bible doesn't mean you believe it. You could study this book your whole life and be a scholar, an extreme scholar. That doesn't mean you're trusting the content of it. It just means you know the content. There are things in here in this book that will challenge all of us. Take the message of healing. Is that a challenge? Is anything too hard for God? What do you believe? What do you believe? God is looking for faith. You give him some faith, he'll give you a piece of heaven in return. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word, it's the Holy Spirit that interprets the word. So you start with the words, you add the spirit, the product that comes from this is faith. This is the only way we can please God. All of our activities and efforts, programs and endeavors pale in the light of a simple message of faith. To be doers of the word and not just hears only. If Paul wrote Hebrews, he wrote this in Hebrews 10, verse 38 and 39. The just shall live by faith. Let me ask you a question. All of you scholarly souls this morning, who is just? Just means right. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. It means it's righteousness. Who's righteous? You can't make yourself righteous, so how do you get righteous? You're reckoned to be righteous on the basis of faith, Romans says. You're willing to believe something you can't prove. You're willing to believe something that's been copied and recopied and handed down through the ages. And you're willing to base your life and your future and your reputation on the truth of this word. And because you're willing to do that, God says you are right with him. He makes you just by that decision. That's how it works. How then are we made righteous? By the power of God. Now, add this to that in Hebrews 10. The just shall live how? What if I told you this? If you're righteous, you'll live by faith. If you have been made right with God, you will live by faith. If you're right with God, you'll live by faith. Now, some have a deeper motivation for faith than others. Some take it further than others would. But everybody that has been born again will embrace a life of faith in God. Sometimes we drag our feet on some things where others don't, but we'll be located somewhere, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. We'll trust the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not to our own corrupted understanding. In all of our ways, we will acknowledge God and recognize that the only way in this life that I can please my heavenly Father is to do what he said just to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. Are you still in 1 Peter? Look at verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, what? So the salvation of your soul, your security in receiving that, in, like he said in verse 6, getting what he said in verse 6 is by faith. God has ordained that we live by faith. God has ordained that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. We can't dream up something to say, I believe. The limit of our faith is the word of God, which is unlimited. Jesus went so far, gave us this kind of a word. 
what things soever you desire. Remember that? When you pray, believe. Believe that you have received it, and you shall. That's one of the things that God says. A while ago, we talked about sanctification. God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Nobody in here has a right to set aside any part of the word as God speaks it to us any more than you try to live what you don't believe because somebody else did. That doesn't work either. My faith is between me and God. I'm not trying to live by faith so you'll accept me or approve of me. My faith is a personal matter. My faith is a personal choice. This is what I believe. This is where I want it to go. This is what I have put myself before that if God said this is the way walk ye in it, then that's exactly what he's going to do. And it is the Holy Spirit, folks, who brings us to faith. That prompting, that revelation in Ephesians 1, 17 or 18, that work of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that revealing and opening your eyes to what the Word says is the basis for what you're going to believe. You can't believe if you don't see it, can you? Didn't Jesus say there are multitudes of people that have eyes to see, but can't see? He said they have ears to hear, but they can't hear. How can they believe then what they don't understand? They read it. They don't get it. It doesn't change your life. There's no evidence of it. It just doesn't seem to be there. I can't tell you how blessed we are. Even the little blessing that we probably have in light of what's available, how good God has been to us. You realize he sustained us as a little body of believers for almost 20 years in this building? And we haven't fallen apart, gone away. We haven't had any splits, maybe because you can't vote. <laughs> you got a Christian dictator as a pastor. <laughs> Boy, I'm sure there's been worse than that said. But you have been illumined by the Spirit. You've been allowed to wrestle and make your own decisions. You've been allowed time to find out for yourself what you really believe. And the pressure has been taken off of you to conform to other people. And you're to be conformed to Christ. As much as you know and much as you understand. We've been encouraged through the years to know that our children, many of them are still here. They're here so far. And yet, as we heard earlier, they need our prayer. And yet we know how to pray. We've been taught how to pray. If we don't know how to pray in English, we can pray in the Spirit. We can lay hands on their pillow whenever they're gone, on their bed. And the head that lays on this pillow, I ask in the name of Jesus for a transforming work to take place in this person's life. Child has no motivation. Child is seeming has an aimless life. Dragging around through school, dragging here and dragging there, listening to stupid music, acting stupid. Father, in the name of Jesus, deliver them from this work of the devil. Turn their hearts around, turn them towards you, in Jesus' name. The devil says, it ain't working. And you say, I prayed. It will work. It will work because I believe. I don't have to pray twice, I believe once. And I believe he's going to do a work on them. I'm sure that great, great, great grandpa William Henry Harrison Absher, a Baptist preacher, I'm sure he prayed, Lord, let this tree have more ministers in it. Well, he had one, one more. <laughs> <laughs> 
probably more coming. Wouldn't it be good if a bunch of our youngsters just somehow got riveted by the Spirit and they could not get away from the fact that God has called me to preach. They begin to indulge their life in the study of this word to learn what all of this means and begin to live like this. No, sir, all of us are called to live by faith, all of us. We're not to dread it, we're not to be afraid of it, we're not to talk down about it, be negative about it, but just simply realize that that quit trying to be like everybody else wants you to be. You know, well, they had their baby at home, I gotta have my, you have in your heart what's there. You take the step that's in your heart, not somebody else's. And you walk in the light that you have. And this is what God sees, he sees your heart. This is how we live. This is such a challenge in our life. All these years I've been in doing what I'm doing, this has been the greatest challenge of all, is to maintain your faith. Hold fast to it wherever you are, in your family, in your community, wherever. But it's the one thing, the very one simple and single thing that Jesus said, when he comes back, that he's looking for is faith. Not industry, not ambition, not all the stuff that the world prizes so highly. You know what he's looking for? That simple faith. Will he find it in you? Are you secure? Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, as we approach the communion this morning, Heavenly Father, we pray that the light of your word at this moment allows itself to be fixed on this communion and the price that was paid and the sacrifice that was made by Jesus, who laid down his life for us paid it all, rescued us, the perishing, died a horrible death, was raised from the dead, and came back to tell us that he loves us. Father, as we think of that this moment, cause us to have a grateful and thankful heart, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I wandered far from the fall where I was saved. It wasn't long till I'd found I'd lost my way. I cried with fear as the night began to fall. One more lost lamb And I heard the shepherd's call He saw my steps As they walked right into the dark Though I went astray I never once left his heart That night long ago, I still recall When I lost my way, then I heard the shepherd's call He left the fold to seek out the one that strayed Left ninety-nine For there was one to be saved Out on that ledge One step would have ended it all
I felt a hand And I heard the shepherd's call He saw my steps As they walked right into the dark Though I went astray I never once left his heart That night long ago I still shepherd's call He saw my steps as they walked right into the dark Though I lost my way I never once left his heart That night long ago I still my way but I heard the shepherds call